Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of my favorite continuous glucose monitor, and Omnipod, the best, only, and most wonderful tubeless insulin pump in the entirety of the planet. Speaking of Dexcom, sounds like Arden's blood sugar is a little low. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. Arden's fine. We sent a temp basil. She's at school right now. I just wanted to let you know real quickly that if you want to know more about Omnipod, you can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox and Dexcom, similarly, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. This episode of the podcast is with Adam Brown. Adam is a 28-year-old person who works in the diabetes world in a number of different ways that you'll hear about. He's had type 1 diabetes since he was a young man, and he's written a book. The book is called Bright Spots and Landmines, The Diabetes Guide I Wish Someone Had Handed Me. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff here with Adam today, not just the book. We're going to talk about his work with Close Concerns. We're going to talk about his work with um, Diatribe. Um, Adam and I have known each other for a little bit. It's a great conversation, just like the rest of them. Just imagine if everyone who came on was a great conversation about diabetes and they wrote a book. That would be what this one's like. And at the end... We're going to give some books away, so make it to the end, and you'll uh, you'll find out how you can get a free book, and it's really easy to enter. All right, let's do this thing, shall we? Nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your and everybody medical plan. This is just a podcast, people. Here comes Adam. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Brown. I'm a senior editor at diatribe.org. I lead diabetes technology and digital health at Close Concerns and just wrote a book called Bright Spots and Landmines, the diabetes guide I wish someone had handed me. And I've had diabetes since 2001. Okay. And I know for sure, because I'm, I'm a learned person, it's 2017. So 16 years. How old are you now? I'm 28. Wow. Okay. So you're 12? Yep. I just gave myself away by doing simple math quickly. Uh, in, in <laughs> that other, was great. In other episodes, I pretend I can't count because it's fun. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so we're having Adam on today to talk about his book, but there's bonus stuff about Adam that you're going to find out as we go on. So first, I want to hear a little bit about uh, being diagnosed when you were 12. Of course. So I think it was a pretty textbook diagnosis, you know, losing weight, super thirsty, um, pale. Mom took me into the primary care physician office. They had, <laughs> I know a lot of PCP offices don't have glucometers, but this one did. And I was, you know, at 500 or something and diagnosed with, with diabetes type one and, uh, totally devastated as I think many people are and crying and, you know, didn't know what would happen to me and felt like um, just didn't didn't really know what to do. And I think it was, um, as I talk about in the book's introduction, just several years of challenges and doing poorly and feeling like a failure at every doctor's appointment. And I, I think my mom and I felt like we, we knew what we were doing. But, um, the, you know, 2001 is not even the dark ages of diabetes and it it feels like it looking back on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you feel like you're doing well because you have absolutely no guidance or frame of reference for what well is. And so you just, you're, you're, someone's giving you some uh, loose advice. You appear to be following it. And so that makes you feel like you're doing well. 
And yeah, yeah, and then that's sort of the thing. You heard Arden's blood sugar is a little low just a second ago. And, I uh, did. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she just finished up lunch, and uh, we were in a tough spot where she was 69 when we needed to pre-bolus. So I uh, I tried uh. to do an extended bolus with nothing up front, thinking like that would do it, and it did it about 20 points too well. So um, so we mm. she and I just spoke before we talked, and she tested, and she's good, but. Um, but, but okay, so, all right, 12 years old, it's, it's obviously devastating at that point. Was there any other, like, diabetes in the family, any type 1 endo wishes? Is there any reason to think this was going to happen, Was it or was it a complete, like, blindside? Yeah, actually, a lot of endocrine, endocrine issues in my family. Uh, grandfather had type 2, um, obviously, at a, a later stage, and, um, yeah, PCOS, PCOS in my family, and so... Um, it, I, I'd say it wasn't, I mean, type one diabetes is always kind of unexpected. I think when sure. it hits, unless there's people in the family with type one. So, um, but there's definitely some links to the, to the endocrine piece. Not enough for your mom to sit in the corner of the room and go, Oh, I expected this. Right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well that's terrible. Um, how did it, how did it, <laughs> it's so hard to do a podcast about diabetes. Like there's never, a moment, there's never a moment where you're like, wow, that's amazing. Right. We're going to, we're going to have one on this show, Scott. Good, good, good. So, okay. So 12 transitional age for a young man. And then how much effect did it have on your schooling through, through like middle school and, and high school or did it not? Um, well, I think it did in, in the sense that as a typical teenager, I just kind of, you know, did the minimum amount on my diabetes. So I did get on a pump pretty early, I think within a year after I was diagnosed. So that made certain pieces easier. Um, but I mean, I, I was always bouncing between, you know, 40 and 300 and eating, you know, I think one of the things I talk about in the book that I feel very strongly about is, you know, the food advice that my mom and I got was you can eat whatever you want as long as you take insulin for it. And in a sense, that's a comforting message to give a teenager who's just been diagnosed with this serious condition. But on the other hand, like, we were not good enough at dosing insulin to to handle that advice. And so... Um, I didn't change my diet at all, really, and I think it showed in in all the blood sugars I achieved. <laughs> so you were in that situation where it was like, look, there's 150 carbs in this half of a pizza, and right. so I'm going to just push this button here and eat the pizza. And exactly. and yeah, and that didn't work out very well. And so we talk about on here a lot about you know understand. I I genuinely believe that most of managing type one is understanding how insulin works in you. You know, like I think once you kind of get the feeling for that, which is, is not to say that it's easy, but once you feel like you understand, like if I do this, this is definitely going to happen and it's going to take this much time. So I'll do it here instead of there. And that, that kind of stuff. Once you have that, a lot of this is manageable. It's still, it's still a ton of work and it sucks and everything, you know, but it, it's still, it, it's a lot better than when someone says, Hey, count the carbs, push the button, you, you know, you're all set. Um, yeah, and the reason I asked about how it affected school is because I, as much as I know you, in my imagination, maybe I'm 100 percent wrong. In my imagination, you are a brilliant person, and 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 here's why I say that. There's a couple of reasons. First of all, when you write, your long form writing makes sense, top to bottom. 
not easy to do. Not a lot of people can string together big thoughts and tie them together. And, and <laughs> it, seriously, writing's not that easy. And so, um, and so when I read what you write, I get from you, bright guy. Second thing, you work for Kelly Close, who I'm going to go out on a limb and say is the most brilliant person I've ever met in my entire life. So we're going to take a little bit of a sidebar just for a second while I ask you if I'm correct about that. Now, first, I'm going to tell you why I believe this, and then you're going to tell me if I'm right. Okay, okay. okay. So a number of years ago, back when it was still very fashionable for uh, pharma companies to invite bloggers out to tell them things around a table and be nice to them, um, <laughs> <laughs> I found myself in that situation one day, sitting next to a person who I only knew from online, Kelly Close, from Close Concerns and, and, and amazing other things. And so we were talking about a fairly heady topic at the table, and there might be 20, 25 people around this large conference table talking about this heady topic. And the entire time, Kelly's typing on her laptop. And at the time, I thought, oh, you know what? She's taking copious notes to report back on our conversation about this thing. And then being just you know nosy, it got the better of me, and I started looking over her shoulder to see that what she was typing about had nothing to do with what we were talking about. It didn't even have anything to do with the reason we were all there. Like this was a completely separate thing. And what she was writing about was fairly heady. Now, she hears something in the conversation that she disagrees with, looks up, begins to address it in a very thoughtful manner, and never stops typing what she's writing on the computer. <laughs> Flip me the hell out, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. I, I am. I am zero percent surprised by that. <laughs> I mean, I'm. I don't know what she said because I was mesmerized because I was looking straight over her shoulder, going, "Oh my God, she's still making sense while she's typing." Yeah, <laughs> two different topics. Yep. Seriously, yeah, right? Amazing. Yeah, Unbelievable. that's 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 classic Kelly. Yeah, oh, I love. I feel like I've told that story on here before, but never with you. And so. First of all, let's just go with what it is. She's a robot or an android, something like that. And uh, and you're here to out her. Is that correct? <laughs> I, I prefer superhuman, but, you know. It's, so so I, I guess I, I, you know, I, that whole story, I want to know, how do you end up working with her? Because my assumption is it's just these two bright lights just find each other. And so oh, but, but maybe you're maybe, – listen, maybe you're sitting here going – Please shut up! I'm I'm a bit of a dope, and I, I I'm about to get called out. I don't like it at all. But no, I want I want to know how you guys find each other because you're you're clearly two yeah. different ages, you're from two different generations. You've got the diabetes in common. Like what what led you into this line of work? Did she pull you into it, or were you were you in it when she found you? Oh no, none of the above. Actually, it, it's funny how sometimes you know the huge moments in your life can almost be ships passing in the night if it weren't for one little thing. So I. I was uh, a junior in college at Penn in Philadelphia, and I was looking for, you know, all my friends were doing finance and consulting and fancy jobs, and I, I knew I wanted to do something more interesting. Uh, and so I, I was, you know, browsing the school job boards, and I said, all right, I'm going to narrow, because the, the, the boards are overwhelming. So mm -hmm. I said, all right, I'm going to narrow my search by looking for jobs in California, because I, I love California, I want to live in California. And so I see this job posting for this organization in San Francisco. They write about diabetes. I have diabetes. I almost didn't apply because I thought, you know what? Like, could I just sit every day at my computer and write about diabetes? I mean, is that a job I could actually do? 
Um, so I, you know, I wrote the cover letter, took a chance on it, applied, didn't hear back for two or three weeks, you know, cause small organizations, if, if you've ever uh, hired people, you know, like at a small organization, you're just overwhelmed. So I didn't hear back for a couple of weeks, sent them a follow-up email, you know, did a couple interviews, uh, close concerns and dietary, we have a very long recruiting process, several rounds because mm-hmm. the team is so small. So we really care about sure. yeah. to bring on. Um, so I didn't even know if I would get the job and, you know, go through several rounds, got the summer internship, spent the summer out in San Francisco, and I just, I loved it. And I, I liked writing about it. I liked covering the field. And at the end of the summer, um, Kelly said, hey, would you like a full-time job? And so I took it. And I've been here ever since. <laughs> That's amazing. And it doesn't surprise me that there's gaps in time because you can be texting back and forth with Kelly in a, a fairly meaningful conversation. And then suddenly she doesn't get back to you. And then seven days later, she responds as if you'd never stop talking. And I'm always like, I'm like, that's amazing. I'm, I'm sure I'm just not high on her priority list. But I, I just, I think she's, I just think she's special. And I'm assuming I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, and you're special too. If she, if she, if you went through all those rounds and, and she, and she landed on you. Um, so uh, thank you. No, seriously, it's, it's, it's quite something. It, it really is. And, uh, and so, so there you are. Now, how long have you been there? Uh, full time since 2011. So this is my sixth year, which is funny because uh, our program is typically a two-year program. So people come out of college, they're interested in health. Many of them go on to medical school. They spend two years at Close Concerns or Diatribe getting really smart about diabetes and writing about diabetes, covering the field. And then they go off and do amazing things and in the medical world, the business world. So no one has ever stayed past two years except for me. <laughs> so I'm at, I'm at six now and, and loving it and going strong. <laughs> Adam's, like a, Adam's like a cat that Kelly fed and she's like, it just, it won't stop. It just, it's here every day. And, and well, listen, no, when you find something, I'm joking. When, and by the way, I don't like you showing off your math back then about how long you've been in close. <laughs> I was, that was my thing earlier, Adam. Now, now you're jumping on it. But, um, but you no, know, I mean, when you hit on something that really is right for you, and I think if people read your blog posts and and things like that, they'd see that this is right for you. You, you know, like it's it's just done, it's done very well. And so, Thank I mean, you. yeah, no, please, I, it's my pleasure, and and I can uh, you can feel it when you feel it. The only other person I ever get that feeling from um, is Mike Hoskins, and um, mm-hmm. and you know when when Mike writes, I'm like, wow, I know every word of this has been researched and well thought out, and you know, I mean. You read my blog post. I'm just like, it's a stream of consciousness. I'm like, I think I think this. And by the end, you're like, I think he just disagreed with himself. <laughs> 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 um, but and it's it's a, it's just a, a way that a mind works that I to me is is awe inspiring. Because my maybe because my brain doesn't work that way, but I just I'm I'm really always bowled over by it. So thank um, you. No, no, please. It, it's it's my pleasure. So when you're there at 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 Diatribe. And you say you're learning, you know, you're, you're basically getting a master's class in diabetes. Um, what, what makes you think at some point, I need to put this all together in a book? Is it because, mm. because, it, because it's information you have, right? It's yours. So you're, it's at your disposal to manage your diabetes with. I'm assuming you're going to say something similar to why I, in the middle of my week, frequently make time to make a podcast for an hour. Because I think I want other people to hear this. Like, like that, that's my whole goal, honestly, is I just, it feels very unfair 
it almost feels, feels mean spirited to me to have the answer to someone's question that they're struggling with and not take the time to share it with them. Um, mm. But I wonder what, what, what brought you to, to want to do it. It's a great question. So I, in 2013, I, I remember sending this email to John and Kelly, uh, John and Kelly's husband, and I still have it. And I said, Hey, I, I'm thinking I want to start a column in diatribe where I share all of the food and psych stuff and exercise and sleep ideas that I have, stuff that I'm using, stuff that I'm testing. And I want to share it with, with diatribe readers. And I think we can do it as an experiment and see, you know, how it goes. So I started this column, Adam's Corner, in 2013. And <clears throat> I was, I've been shocked at um, the number of people that have read it and written me, you know, emails and saying it's been so helpful. And over 600,000 since then, which is totally shocking. And, but I think what I started to realize was that there was no single, it, it, each column is a standalone. So there's, there was no single guide that I could send to someone and say, here is my toolkit for doing better with diabetes. Here is a toolkit you can use to figure out what works for you. And at the same time, Kelly, about mm, 18 months ago, started encouraging me to write that book. And I was pretty set against doing that for a couple reasons. One, I felt like there are a lot of diabetes books already. So what was I going to add? And two, I felt like I was thinking about, you know, because I'm my undergrad was in business. So I think a lot about opportunity costs. Um like, wow, if I spend all this time writing a book that no one reads, like, what else could I do with that time? And so I was, I was actually pretty against um, writing a book for a while. And I talked to Fran Kaufman and Carrie Sparling and David Edelman and got their advice. And <clears throat> I think there's this old joke, like, you, you should never write a book unless you can't not write a book. Like, I just felt like I had to at some point. Um, the, the idea was just stuck in my head. So then, you know, I kind of started going back to my old columns, uh, putting it into an outline, sending the outline out to people, getting their feedback, like, hey, do you think this would be an interesting book that people would read? And the feedback was just so positive on it. And so, yeah, eventually, I'd say about a year ago, I... I you overcame your yeah. common sense and wrote a book. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. 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 So, so that, so that's, yeah, that's the backstory. I mean, it's, it's been, the other funny thing about it is my day job is very reactive. So what is the diabetes news today? Let's write about it. And so the time horizon of my writing is always very narrow. You know, it's usually a day or two. Sometimes it's a week where we might be working on a piece, but this was a really cool thing for me to take on because writing a book is such a long <clears throat> marathon kind of project. And so I, I think that was a cool piece of it too. Yeah. I have to say that when, when I was, when I was approached probably back in 2013 about writing a book from a, when the, when my publisher came to me, they wanted me to write a diabetes book. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I don't know enough about it to like, I wouldn't want to presume to tell somebody this is the way like it, I found that scary, mm. you, you know, and, and had I, had I not like countered with, I do have an idea for a book and this is it. I don't think I would have written one. I think I would, I would have, I would have got scared away by it and I would have, yeah. I would have just, just passed on it. But I don't think people understand there's, there's two things about writing a book that I think it's important for people to understand. Um, unless you're famous, you don't make money writing a book. And so, and so 
the fact of the matter is, is that a person who has taken their time to sit down, I, I don't know how long you did this. I can tell you that my book is not nearly as technically based as yours is. And I sat every day, all day for six months to write it. And it was, and then, you know, then the editing process starts and, and writing more and all that stuff. But, but in that very beginning, I would get up, I would send my kids off to school. I would take the dogs out. I would grab a stack of Oreos because that seemed to be, I, my book should say powered by Oreos on it somewhere. And I would sit down and I would just start writing and I'd look up and my son would be coming through the door at three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. And it was just, <clears throat> no one, listen, I loved it. It was great. If you told me I had to do it again right now, I might cry. You know, like I, I was like, yeah. oh, you know what? No, thank you. That that was enough of that. Um, I don't ever put off doing it again. I I had what I thought was an amazing idea for a book just the other week, and then I came to the next part of it, which you talked about was is how do you allocate your time? Like as a, a human being in the world that has to pay your bills and do other things, right? To be perfectly honest, this podcast is is not that lucrative. And is still much more lucrative than writing a book. And so, and so I start thinking, well, I can make a podcast and, and at least contribute to my family a little bit. Or I can sit down, write a book. Someone will give me a one-time check to write the book and I'll never make another dollar after that because I'm never going to sell yeah. enough books to, to do that. And so well, you, it is a labor yeah, of love when you do it. Totally. Well, I, I meant to, to mention this story. So, so there was a very pivotal turning point for me because I, I did a lot of research on book writing, just the process of it. And I'm, I'm such a like self-help nonfiction geek that, um, you know, I, re- I got a lot of books and articles on this kind of stuff. And I, I knew going in, like, this is not a way to make money. So I was definitely eyes wide open on that. But I had this turning point where, you know, for, you know, you were approached by a publisher, but for us, I mean, I, I was just like interested in writing a book. So I thought, okay, I got to write a, a nonfiction book proposal, get an agent, bring it to publishers. And so, you know, for people who aren't familiar with this, I mean, a, a book proposal is kind of like a business plan for your book. So why should your book exist? What's the market niche? What does your book add over other books? And so I started working on this and I got a I got a book about how to write a book proposal and I was, you know, going through the whole motions and it was taking so long. And eventually, like I knew what I wanted the book to be in my head, but, you know, selling it to someone who's not a diabetes person was actually quite a challenge. And so I had this turning point where I said, wait a second, my goal is not to make money with this book. My goal is to help people with diabetes by sharing useful things that I've learned. We have an audience at Diatribe. So let's self-publish the book. We'll give it away for free because my goal is to get it to as many people as possible. And I can start writing my book. <laughs> Adam, you have just so, somehow found the confounding nature of the diabetes community. <laughs> I, you're like, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to dedicate myself to this thing. It's going to take up a ton of my time. I'm going to expect absolutely nothing in return for it. And it's going to be really valuable. And, and you feel good about it. Most people at this point, after having done all this, would question themselves. <laughs> They'd say, maybe I should have tried harder to get it published. But, but it really is – that's wonderful. So in a world where you know, Diatribe is – I always think of Diatribe as smart, interesting, timely information for people with type 1 diabetes and type 2. And, and I think of it as an organization that – I always wonder. I don't even know. Like, isn't it funny? I don't know if it's a charitable organization or if it's for a profit organization. I never even really know that. And and like, I just feel like it's there to do good for me. And so the book you're saying is, 
it's just a, it's an arm of that. It's an extension of what you guys are trying to do, which is help people. How about we take a minute and talk about our sponsors? First, Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. I'm going to do a straight ad for Omnipod today. If you're interested in finding out what tubeless insulin pumping is all about, it's very simple to do. You go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box, and there you'll fill out the tiniest little bit of information about yourself, your name, your address, your phone number. That's pretty much it. Omnipod is going to send you a no obligation free demo pod. This is for you to look at, touch, feel, see what it would be like. You can actually even adhere to your skin and see what it would be like to wear one. Now, after that, if you're thinking to yourself, hey, Scott's been talking about Omnipod and I think I'm on board, then you just contact them back and say, hey, I'm in, let's do this. And they're going to help you get all set up with your insurance and get ordering going. It is very, very simple to do. Again, you're going to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box, tiniest little bit of stuff. And just like that, you're going to be enjoying the same tubeless freedom that Arden has for so many years now. I can't even remember how long it's been. I'm not going to tell you a big, long story about Omnipod or anything else. I'm just going to implore you today. Click on the link in the show notes or type in the address. Get started today. Do yourself a favor. Summer is here. You could be swimming in the pool with your insulin pump on, not disconnecting, not getting high after you're going swimming, after your shower, etc. It is just so easy. No tubes running through your clothes. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Let's talk about Dexcom. Oh, the best CGM in the whole world. Did you hear at the beginning of the episode where there was the beeping? That's what I'm about to talk about right now. So as most of you may know, my daughter Arden uses the Dexcom G5 mobile continuous glucose monitoring system that tracks her glucose levels throughout the day and night, notifying her of highs and lows so she can take action. That was a pretty good read. But that's not all it does. Dexcom also has a share feature, like you heard about at the beginning. Beep, beep, beep. So Arden can have up to five loved ones, like her mom and I, track her numbers in real time. No matter where Arden is or what she's doing, she always has backup. Now, if that's the kind of peace of mind that seems like something that you'd like to know more about, I think you should go to www.dexcom.com forward slash juicebox or click on the link in your show notes. Now, keep in mind, CGM-based treatments require finger sticks for calibration. May result in hypoglycemia if calibration not performed or symptoms expectations do not match CGM readings. You can always contact Dexcom toll-free at 877-339-2664 for detailed indications for use and safety information. Again, just like I talked about in the Omnipod ad, go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to get started today. Yeah, so, so Diatribe is a nonprofit, uh, 501c3, and that's exactly right. I mean, we, we see this as core to our mission of helping people with diabetes and, and prediabetes. So uh, it, it, it was a, just such a clear mission fit, I think. Um, and that's why we're able to, you know, allow people to get it for free if they want. We, 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 I was very adamant that it should be name your own price. So if you want to click $0 and get it for free, you can. So that access is never an issue with this. Well, I'll tell you, I realize as you're talking that the reason I am always, by the way, I know it's a 
an org, but it, like I said, it always it confuses me in the moment when I think about it. It's because it's run so well ah. that it feels like a it feels like a for profit business. And 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 it's funny because the first time I held your book, I couldn't imagine that you self published this because from literally from the cover to the typesetting to the editing process and everything in between, I know what goes into making a book look like a real book. And this is a book, and 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 I know that you got a barcode, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like I know that sounds odd a little bit, but it's not. Like there are some people who write these really great books and they do it on their own. They do the best they can, but you can kind of tell they self published it. You, you, know what I mean? you know, and and this is not that, and and it's just it's another thing that you know you people you people. My God, I didn't mean it like that. You bastards over at diatribe. <laughs> it, it, the, the, the people that that. The Kelly's collected together is, I mean, it's amazing. You can run a diabetes org. You can decide to write books and do that well. Like that's, that's mm. what I'm, th- listen, well, here's what I'm saying. When you do something, get smart people involved because, because you're, I, the book's beautiful. And, and, and I mean that in, in, a, in many varied ways, not just, I looked at it and thought it was pretty. And, and, um, it, that's just, it's not an easy thing to accomplish. You know, Thank I, you. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, a lot of the credit goes to my girlfriend, Priscilla, who did all of the design. So she did the cover design, all the typography, and all the interior design and photos, which for people who who have the book, it's it looks gorgeous. I mean, it's very, very readable. There's tons of icons and examples. And so, you know, I, I just had the crappy Word doc with screenshots pasted in, and, and she made it look gorgeous. And what's really cool about things now is you know, each book is printed on demand. So when someone orders a book on Amazon, a book is printed and shipped to them. And all I had to do was upload the file to the printer and and the rest is taken care of on the back end. So, I mean, the nice thing is it's in one sense, it's publishing is no longer the domain of massive publishing houses. Right. Um, But yeah, uh, we did have to do every single piece of it, like the cover from the cover design to all the editing to, you know, everything in between getting it to people. Yeah. People ask me sometimes, like, what's the value of being once you're published, people ask you a lot of questions because everybody, everybody thinks they have a book in them. Like, you know what I mean? I don't I don't mean that. In a in a derogatory way, but everybody thinks they have a book in them. Sometimes they hear that you've been published, and they're like, "How did you do that?" And blah blah. blah. And the, my answer is always like, "Don't ask me." Like I didn't even do it on purpose, you know. Um, <laughs> but but I handed somebody a doc file off, and I was like, "There you go, go go make that into a book." And <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, let me know when it's done. And uh, and you know, and other than that, having a publisher, the other real benefit of it is not real. It's that you're published. And that that carries weight. Like people hear that and think it's important. I always tell them, like, look, it's I'm an idiot. I was the, I'm the same idiot I was before I was published that I was after I was published. I was like, it's just you know, I'm, I'm not. Don't look at me that way, please. It's just there's nothing special about. It. I got lucky. You, you, you know what I mean? I very easily could not be in that situation. Um, mm-hmm. There are people who work very very hard to write books and they don't come to fruition, and that's it's sad. It's it's a ton of effort and, and your heart you put into things and. It's and, and the other thing is this, Adam, and how do you deal with this? Because you're not just sharing a story. Like you're giving like, you know, you're giving honest advice. Like it's it's I think if you do this, this might happen, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. When you put your words out into the world, it's a crippling feeling sometimes because mm-hmm. when someone comes back and says, Hey, 
I didn't like that part or what about my book or that story stunk or I, you know, this guy writes like an idiot or whatever it ends up being. I've, I've had some harsh reviews and um, <laughs> I've had some good ones yeah. though. But, but like, you know, when that happens, it's weird. You can't respond. It's the air mm-hmm. talking to you. And there's a fear in that, like that you clearly don't have that, you know, or maybe you have it and you're crippled by it and you're just doing a very good job of smiling through it. I have no idea. But what was the feeling like when you handed it off the first time, because you never know when it, you know, in your circle, not that, not that Kelly was going to let you publish a book that was, she was like, Oh God, this is terrible. We should fire this kid. Like, like yeah. you know, nothing like that. But what do you do with the first time you hand it to human being? Is it, a, is it, did it freeze you? Like wondering, like, what would they think? What would they say? Yeah. So, so I did, we, we at Diatribe were extremely feedback driven. So I think before this had seen, you know, before it was published over 50 people had, had read this book. Um, so I, I had a very good sense of what the criticisms were, and I, I tried to address them as much as possible. Um, but I, I had I had people review, as I was saying, the outline of the book. Like, would this be a book that you would read? And then I had um, – my editor was Jim Hirsch, who I think you probably know, mm-hmm. uh, wrote – has written several New York Times bestsellers and wrote an amazing book on diabetes called Cheating Destiny. And so – Jim is not a BS kind of guy. I mean, he would tell me if it was good or not. And when when I had Jim's confidence, um, after I wrote the food chapter, I kind of knew that I had something. So I, but yeah, anytime you're sharing your work with, with people, it's terrifying and it's, it doesn't really get easier because uh, you, you just never know if, you know, you're so close to the project and it's so part of you that you don't know if it's good or not until you get some objective opinion. But I, I tried to get a a lot of opinions. I, and I added, I think what's cool about this book is it's, it's my toolkit for living well with diabetes. You know, here are the foods I eat, here are the mindset strategies I use, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also questions to help people find what works for them. So even if my advice isn't applicable uh, like if you live somewhere where you can't walk, like the first bright spot in the exercise chapter might not be very applicable to you. Um, but I was very adamant that this should be a book anyone with diabetes and prediabetes and actually people without diabetes should be able to pick up and get at least one useful, actionable thing they can implement in their life immediately, which is a pretty tall bar. But I felt that was my bar. Like I, I didn't, that was what I was interested in. And so I think having that end goal in mind also helped me make sure like, is this actionable? Can someone use this? And if they can't, then let's, let's cut out. Helping them. Wait, and, and if, if, if something doesn't apply, is there, is there more advice that helps me? Because that, that's devastating to go, Oh yeah, I do have this problem. That's amazing. This is, I can't do that. Oh, never mind. You like you know that's that's not, that's not uplifting at all. And so you're saying that not only is it hey this is how I do it, but if that doesn't work for you, here are some other options to maybe get to that result this, with different different ideas. That's that's great. How do you, see again? This is what I talked about in the beginning. Being able to put a thought together that is multi layered and 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 supports itself <laughs> is not an easy thing to do. Trust me. I, I've tried writing more long form. I know where my uh, where my limitations are, and so uh, <laughs> I pressed send on my book to my publisher, and in five minutes, the left side of my neck and my shoulder went completely stiff and stayed that way for six weeks. Oh, I, no. Just every day looking at my email, like this is me at the email. Did, 
did she hate it? Why won't she send back any? What's going on? <laughs> right. Oh my god, it must be horrible. And you know, <laughs> totally, yeah, totally. And a great editor is really—it's such a key part of everything. Like you need somebody who who reads like a reader, and you need somebody who who is willing to tell you, "Hey, that part right there. Like, what are we doing? You, you know, like, yeah, why? Or say it differently, or any number of things." I, I thought the most amazing part about the writing process was I wrote 96,000 words and sent them in, but my book is almost like, is more like 75,000 words. Mm. And when I read the edit, I couldn't figure out what she took out of it. Mm, that's, nice. And that's how I knew she did a good job because wow. I, I didn't miss anything. I didn't go, wow, but where's that part? You, you right. know, and as a matter of fact, when I went back and did like an apples to apples, I was like, oh, she cut that whole passage out. Huh? Okay. You, you know, like, like, yeah, okay. It, it just, it's a, it's a, everyone's life should have an editor with them. That'd be amazing, by the <laughs> way. Just walk around behind you, whispering, you're, no, Adam, don't do that. that that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Real time editing. Yeah, it'd be beautiful. So, okay, so let's talk more nuts and bolts, right? So I've got the book in my hand now. I've probably made a delightful donation to Diatribe to get my book, but maybe I couldn't afford that. I'm holding my free copy of Bright Spots and Lamonts, and, and I'm reading it. What am I going to learn? Like what? Like what am I going to do? Because here's what I expect. Um, I think that diabetes is an interesting animal. Like I think when you're first thrown into it, you know nothing. You think you know something because a doctor is giving you this sort of rudimentary stuff to follow. At some point, your gut tells you I'm doing things that aren't. They're not going the way I want them to go. But these tools that I've been given, they only lead to this this answer. And so then you start looking around the world. Maybe you find a forum or a book or a podcast or something, and you start hearing different ideas. And then one day, magically, you don't know how you get there, but, but the people who get to the end are just sort of how I feel. Like, I don't feel, I don't feel stressed out about diabetes anymore. Like, I, no matter what happens, I feel like I, I now know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took me a decade of scraping and trying to get there. I think of this podcast as a way to help people sort of fast forward through that process. I'm hoping you kind of feel the same way about the book. Um, so I'm assuming that most people who are going to pick this up are either looking for a refresher or looking to do something differently, but a lot of them are going to be people who are lost and looking mm-hmm. and looking for a way through to this spot that I've described. So how do you think the book takes them through that, that journey? Everyone, don't forget that after the podcast ends, I'm going to tell you a very simple way that you can enter to win one of five signed copies of Bright Spots and Landmines, the diabetes guide I wish someone had handed me by Adam Brown. Five free signed, that's autographed, copies of the book right to your house. It just shows up in the mailbox one day. If you win, we're going to have a drawing. It's going to be easy to enter. You'll find out how after the show. Yeah, great question. So, I think what, what, what has surprised me about the feedback I've gotten is that whether I had someone who was just newly diagnosed read it, I had someone who has had diabetes for 50 years read it, and both of them got a lot out of it. So that I think that, too, kind of convinced me that this, this is for whether you're doing well with your diabetes and have had it for a long time or just diagnosed and overwhelmed or somewhere in between, there's, there's some good stuff in here. So what's someone going to take away? I mean, what I want them to take away is, one, I want them to find some useful tips in four areas. 
which are the four stripes on the front of the book and the four chapters. So there's a chapter on food, chapter on mindset, things like motivation, stress, guilt, perfectionism, chapter on exercise, and chapter on sleep. And so each of these chapters shares what I call my bright spots. So what are the things I'm doing well that I should keep doing? What stuff actually works? And how can I clone those things so that I have more days where I have bright spots? And then the, the landmines. So these are the, the mistakes that explode into out-of-range blood sugars. You know, the foods that I just are super tempting and I eat them and things go poorly. Or the really unproductive questions I ask myself. Or when I sleep really poorly, like what happens and how can I, how can I avoid those things is the key question. So this is Bright Spots and Landmines is the title and it's also the framework of the book into which all of these strategies in each chapter land. So uh, to, to be a little bit more specific, I mean, the first, the first bright spot in the food chapter is eat less than 30 grams of carbs at one time. And for some people, this, is, uh, this gets a little controversial, depending on your opinions on, on food and diabetes. But personally, I found like it's such a game changer when I, when I cut the carb content in my meals. And so that bright spot talks about why it's a bright spot, you know, why why do I do this? Um, what's the impact on my glucose and how do I feel and quality of life and all that? And then how do I actually do it? And so the how-to is a, is a really big part of, of everything in the book because I want people to be able to take that bright spot and, and try it in their own life or, or adapt it. Um, so, that's, so that's just one example. Another one from the mindset chapter, another bright spot is how do in-range blood sugars benefit me today? So we talk a lot about in diabetes about this long-term you, know, you got to manage your diabetes or you avoid complications. And I think especially for, for young people, it's just not a compelling reason to make different choices because, you know, you just don't have that long time horizon. <laughs> you can't imagine yourself being 62 and, and, right. and caring how you feel when you're 62, when you're 15. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I, my mindset, bright spot is this, what I call it a time reframe. How, how does diabetes matter today? So I know that I feel better when my blood sugar is in range. I treat the people around me so much better. I think better and, and can do better work at my job, which is really important to me. And so there's all these today reasons to care about my diabetes. And, and so that's, that's just one example of a bright spot in, in the mindset chapter. And so the book in total has 43 different bright spots and 16 landmines. And that was also very intentional because most of us focus on those landmines, those mistakes, those things we're doing wrong. And one of the things I argue in the book is that actually focusing on bright spots is more important. And, and our, our bright spots should be what we're trying to work on every day more so than, than beating ourselves up over the mistakes. So I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about talking to you and, and, and sort of the, what you were just talking about and, and mindset was one of the things that kind of pops into my head while I was washing the dishes Adam. I'm not going to lie. And, nice. and, uh, and so, and I thought like, I wonder what, because I have heard people say like, well, you say these things in the podcast, but then I can't do it. So some people's minds see something out ahead, a roadblock and they, they doom and gloom it right away. They go, oh, this is what's going to go wrong. This is, I can see all the pathways to my failure and, and they don't imagine all the pathways to success. And I, and I kept thinking, there's no real way for me, you found a way, but there's no way for me to tell you how I'm accomplishing that because I'm accomplishing it through sheer will because I'm just for whatever reason, a person who is not going to accept that as an answer. 
and mm-hmm. and and but what about the people whose minds aren't wired like mine? They don't deserve a bad, you know, they don't deserve a less than desirable outcome just because of the way their brain works. You know what I mean? That it's yep. you know what I mean? Like it's not it's like it's like when you when you when you hear someone talk about depression and you listen to that conversation and you don't have any depressed feelings, you can't make any sense of that. That doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, recently Chris Cornell took his life. Uh, in my mind, Chris Cornell's a, a handsome rock star. I can't imagine why he wouldn't want to live for a million years. Except I don't know what it's like to be depressed. Right. And, and so and so I can't I can't fathom that. Right. And, yeah. And and the same thing for me here, which is why the podcast ends up being really valuable for me, is because people can hear what I'm doing, and then maybe they can be. I don't know, maybe they can trick themselves into kind of following that path if that's not the path they usually trick. But I don't give any real tools. And you're going to give, you're talking more about tools, which I think is is probably not the sexy way to talk about it, but it's the right way to talk about it. You, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, yep. we have to understand what that means. You talked, I'm, I'm going to babble for one more second, but you spoke about something a minute ago that just means the world to me. Um, because I'm not a person living with diabetes. I'm a person who loves somebody who's living with it. And I get to watch them when your blood sugar gets too high, when your blood sugar gets too low, you are artificially. Now you, you are no longer the person that you would have been if diabetes didn't come into your life. And now you're having that experience. Maybe it's only for an hour. Maybe it's for a half a day. Maybe it's for a week. Maybe it's for your whole life. You are not authentically who you are because you're being, you're, you're being altered by either glucose in your blood or man-made insulin that you're having trouble managing that's such a horror in my mind. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like to think about it that way, it just, it's a sadness that I, I can't take thinking about it. And so I come here and I record this podcast every week because I want, I want as many people as possible to hear what I do to keep my blood, my daughter's blood sugar in kind of a steady, stable place because I don't want them to look at their kids or themselves and, and have to wonder like, is that who my son really is? Or, mm-hmm. is, or is the, or is his blood sugar one fifty? And I've learned to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just it's I don't want to get mushy, but I just yeah yeah it means so much to me. I you know because of my connection to my daughter. But um, yeah, anyone who's out there trying to give tools to get people to just get to be themselves and in a healthy way is I think it's just really amazing. So thank you. I mean the way the way that I, I couldn't agree more. The way I phrase it in the book is keeping my blood sugar and range makes me a better human being today and maximizes my limited time on this planet. That is priceless. You can't can't undervalue that, you you know, and I'll tell you this morning, I had a a back and forth with my daughter and my wife that didn't go the way I wanted to go. And it's just because I'm exhausted. Right. And, And you know what I mean? And so I, I'm working on fixing Arden's, I think Arden's basal rates between 10 and 1, 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. are off right now for some reason. And so I'm spending a lot of my nights till 2 in the morning making sure she's okay. And then I'm getting four hours of sleep and getting up and trying to live my life. And this morning it just, it it was all too much. And I just, I don't want to say I snapped, but I did not react the way I wanted to. And then I looked up and I'm like, okay, now everybody in my life that I care about is looking at me like I'm a monster. And, right. and, and all I'm trying to do is get Arden's blood sugar in a stable place so she can leave the house. I'm trying to get the dog to eat. I'm trying to, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to think about my day and those things. And, yep. and, I, and I'm altered by the sleep, and which in some way makes me altered by the diabetes too. And yeah, so, and, and it's um, – I focus on this in a few places in the book. But 
I think one of the most powerful motivators for doing something different is what is the impact that I'm having right now on the people that I love? And then what would be the impact if I made a change? And so I, I think, I think it's really powerful. And, um, no, I yeah, think, yeah, that's a mirror that you can, you can not only, you don't end up just helping the people around you that you care about, but you, you know, you end up helping yourself tenfold. You don't even realize it sometimes. Yeah. But. And I, I, I love your question about people who are wired negatively. And I, I do want to address that. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I focus on in the introduction is just, I think it's very refreshing to know that all of us are wired to be negative. I mean, we're all wired to focus on negative things happening. And so I think just having that as a baseline, like, wow, left to my own devices without policing myself, I'm probably going to focus on the negative things going wrong is a good place to start just so you don't beat yourself up over that. And then for the people who find, I mean, I find it hard to do, you know, certain big projects, certain big life changes. And I think one of the things I write a lot about and focus on is how can I make this desire change as small as possible so that I can build momentum, build progress, and make it less intimidating. And so one of the ones in the exercise, so there's this exercise landmine. This is just one example about, oh, I don't have an hour. I can't exercise. And I think we've all said this. I certainly have. And the, the reframe that I talk about is, okay, well, five minutes of exercise beats zero. Can I do five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> and and it's such, I mean, whenever I remember that on a busy day, I always get five minutes of exercise in. And again, it's not, it's not an hour, but it's also not zero, which is what I would, would, would do on a busy day. And so I think shrinking the change, uh, to put it in the words of Chip and Dan Heath, who wrote this amazing book, Switch, uh, which is where I discovered this idea of bright spots. They call it shrink the change. And I, I think it's extremely powerful for, for anyone who's struggling to make a change or who is focusing on all the things going wrong. Just make it as small as possible so that you can win. Because you're overcoming a primitive urge. Like it's, yeah. a, it's, a, self, it's a self-defense urge. You know, I'm walking down the street and I see a dog. Is that dog going to bite me? Could that, end right. up, could that end up killing me? You, you know, like, like I have to defend myself. It's even, it's just, it's how you think. It's, and not only that, it's a great parenting technique. I, for people out there who are not old enough to have children yet, I tell my wife all the time, my parenting, here's my parenting technique. Whenever I'm asked something, I default to no because I can always go back on that. But I can never go back on yes when my daughter's like, I really would like to go to North Carolina and go to a One Tree Hill convention. I got to start with no. Okay. How <laughs> <laughs> do I start with no? She ended up at the One Tree Hill convention. I'm not saying that it worked out for me, but, but it's just, it's a very, it, it, life moves very quickly. And so even, you know, outside of danger, you know, maybe the world's changed. Maybe I'm not going to be trampled by a bison. Okay, but right. but and so I should be a little more daunting and and or, or, or undaunted. Excuse me, I should be a little more like heroic and let me try a little more because the 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 things to be afraid of in 2017 as I'm walking out in my backyard are not the things that I should have been afraid of in 1817. And right. and you know so so we're still wired that way, but the world's not like that anymore. Now when you get back into diabetes diabetes feels primitive. It feels like something trying to kill you all the time. Yeah. Right. Right. It, it, and it, if it doesn't feel like that to you, good for you. And also you might not be giving it its proper due, but it's like, it, it's, it's 
long term, short term, it is trying to end you. And you, but the, the, the good news is, is that there are tools out there that you can make that almost negligible. It's, yep. but, but not if you, not if you start off by going, it's going to kill me. I should just not try. Mm-hmm. You know, if that happens, if you're not depressed and that happens, you got to change your focus. And then, you know, and if you are depressed, then that's a different situation and you need to, then you need to find that kind of help that will, that can hopefully help you through that. But that's a, not exactly yeah. what we're talking about right now, but it's still, it's still, it's prevalent and we don't talk about it enough, I think, in diabetes. But, um, yeah. you, you know, but, but at the same time, it's just, it's because it's overly simplistic to just say that, you know, you get what you expect, but I'm going to tell you, that's pretty true. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you set your and 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 to take it into a technical spot and talk about it here all the time, if you have a Dexcom CGM, please, please lower your high threshold down to one thirty or one twenty. Expect to be at one twenty, and in a couple of days, maybe a week or two, you'll find that it's pretty easy to keep your blood sugar under one twenty because that's what you're working towards. It's what you. I hear far too many people say. Well, I have my high threshold set at 200 because I don't want that thing beeping all the time. And I laugh. I'm like, well, what the heck's it for then? You're like, like, isn't it there to tell you your blood sugar is getting high? Yeah, but it bothers me. Well, then take it off. It, it, you know, like it, it's, it's, you're, you're not using it. And I think that people think of that, even the Dexcom. And I've had these conversations with the company. I'm like, you have to get past the, 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 the feeling in the public that you, you're making a don't die alarm because right. it, it's so much more than that. And at the same time, I realize I'm having these conversations about CGM, and really, you're saying the same thing about about this. Don't just don't just get up in the morning and go. Well, as long as I don't die today, big win for me. You, you know, like yeah. that's you need to expect more than that out of your day. You, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I think a big. I mean, this is just a huge message of the book is that diabetes. The messaging around it is is often so negative. Whether it's the messaging we talk about to ourselves what we hear from our healthcare providers, from some healthcare providers, you know, you're failing, um, or the messaging we hear in the media and broadly. And I think this is why bright spots are the focus of the book, because it's not an intuitive thing to what, what are the things that are working that I should be doing more often? That's not an intuitive way to think in general. And I think it's, it's especially rare in diabetes. Most of us focus on what are the things going wrong that I should minimize? And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of bright spot thinking and finding your bright spots. And I, I think it's what's challenging is it's, sometimes it's hard. I mean, if nothing's going right, it's hard to find bright spots. <laughs> well, that's when I tell people that then I, I always say, it's, don't think of any of this as a failure. Just think of it as data. You know, like yeah. I, I did this, I was expecting this to happen, but that happened. So next time, if I just do it sooner or a little less or a little more, I might expect it to go more in my favor. It's not a failure because, by the way, if you don't have you, – you can quote unquote call them failures. But if you don't have those experiences, you're never going to come to the right answer. You need mm-hmm. diabetes as repetition. Like you need to live through it over and over again until one day you just realize – you know, I used to say it's – but then the, the reference got too old. It's like, it's like when Neo finally figured out the matrix. You, you, <laughs> you know, like the, in the beginning of diabetes, it's like everyone's shooting at me. And, you know, and now I'm just like, oh, look at these silly people. Let me just stop the bullets in the air and I'll walk through them and handle this and, right. and that's it. And that is how I feel now. But 
Yeah. You know, I wish somebody would have wrote a book called Bright Spots and Landmines five years ago, Adam. I don't know where the heck you are. But um, but I, I could have used it then. You, you know what I mean? And, and it's, yeah. uh, it, 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 you know, I just, I think it's great that you're, that you put the effort into it. I just know that people don't know how hard it is to write a book. And so I, I feel incumbent uh, to say that it's just, I very much appreciate your effort. Uh, Thank you. Thank really you. You know, you know, what's funny is I, I found writing this book to be by far the easiest part of this process. Mm-hmm. And I think, which is quite, I mean, in a sense, it's because like I'm a journalist, you know, during the day I write, I write for a living. So I'm, I'm very used to writing as my job. But what was a huge challenge for me was like everything after that. So like, what should the title be? How's the marketing? How, what's the business model of this book? Like, how can I offer it for free at the lowest possible price? So, you know, we had to build a custom website and manage a project. And so all of the and then get the word out about it, you know, because it's like, it's like the last mile problem. You know, you have this amazing thing that you got to get in people's hands. And so I've actually learned the most and struggled the most with everything after the writing process, which is, which is not what I would have expected when I started. Don't you? And, ima- and, it, and it's probably different for everyone. Do you imagine that what you've taken from that part is going to help you with diatribe moving forward? Cause that sounds like to me that it would, because yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, your day to day job, just more, more of that side of it because people don't, you know, as good as your information can be, if you don't, no matter who you are, if you don't reach the person, it's meaning, yeah. it's meaningless. And you know, while you're talking about all the effort, you the worst thing that happened to me after writing a book was I had to wear a Spanx shirt to go on the Katie Couric show, and uh, they're hard they're hard to breathe in, Adam. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And so, so I'm a verbose guy in a very tight shirt. It was hard. <laughs> yes, i I think it I think it has uh, it will help diatribe. I mean, just <laughs> what I had to keep reminding myself during the process was. If no one reads Bright Spots and Landmines, at least I've just written 59 Adam's Corner columns. Yeah, right. And, I'll just start hacking you know, so, these up into blog posts. <laughs> exactly. And so that to me was just such a refreshing thought in that like, wow, even if no one reads the full book, I've still written, you know, 59 articles that can last like the next year and a half. <laughs> Let me ask you this because I'm interested to know this because – I, I try very hard to make sure people understand that I get a lot of correspondence too about, wow, this podcast is really helping me, which I, is heartwarming beyond compare. But I always try to like respond back and tell people, you don't understand how much it's helping me. Because like giving yourself the permission to spend time with the, with the subject, you learn things. I'm imagining even as you were writing, you were like, wow, that's that's really good. Like I didn't even think that when I sat down to write today. You, mm. you know, I find that having these conversations, like you've said things here to me today that I'm going to go back and use in my life. Mm-hmm. And I have that experience every time I record a podcast. Nice. And and I just wonder if, if writing the book, I, you, because writing's a, a solemn thing and you're giving yourself permission to sit and not think about anything else at that time. Did you, do you find like your own, I don't, I hate the word management, but there's no better way to say it. Not long. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you find the way do you find that your management got better after sitting down and reflecting over your own thoughts? Yes, absolutely. And and I think there's a couple of reasons why. I talk about this a little bit in the conclusion, which is there is a, a profound power to sitting down and clarifying exactly what your bright spots and landmines are. And there, it's different for every people, but uh, for every person. But for me, like I, I now have an operating manual for my diabetes. And so I kind of have to take my advice 
because I've written it down and I published it. And so you're stuck doing you know, a good job now. <laughs> exactly. But, but I mean, what's, what's hilarious, you know, I'll, I'll just give you a couple of examples, uh, both from the food chapter is, um, like the hy- hypoglycemia. So the, the first landmine in the, in the food chapter is the hypoglycemia binge. 50 blood sugar of 54, go to the fridge, eat a ton of stuff, go super high, maybe you rage bolus, go really low, you know, the roller coaster. So my solution to this is, you know, having a go-to automatic correction for lows that I don't want to overeat and then I can change the quantity to match exactly what I need. So for me, that's glucose tabs, not because they're tasty. They're not, they're actually not supposed to be tasty. They're supposed to fix my blood sugar and, and let me get on with things. Um, so now when I'm low, you know, I have glucose tabs everywhere in our house. I have them next to my bed. I have them all my coat pockets next to the front door. So I think that's just one example of like, wow, one of my diabetes landmines is a hypoglycemia binge. What's my system to avoid that? And then just repeat it. Now, now it's just more automatic. Um, and so I think that's just, that's just one example of a, of a small thing that's really helped. Um, another is just the, you know, the five minutes of exercise beats zero. I've used that a lot because my, my day job is crazy enough. So, so adding a book on top of it is nuts. Um, and so exercise is one of the easiest things to cut out when time is crunched because it's, it's such an optional thing and you can do it tomorrow. And so I, I repeatedly do, do the five minutes beat zero. Um, I even, when I walk my dog in the mornings now, I, I usually wear a weighted vest because I have to walk my dog anyway. So might as, as well, well make it more out of it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, I think, I think my, my blood sugars, I mean, when I look at my time and range over the course of 2016, it, it, it just improved by a little bit every single month. And I think a big piece of that was as I got into the fall, I was rereading and rereading and rereading the book. And honing what you were doing as well as the book at the same time. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. I just, I can't, I couldn't, I, I'm so glad you had that experience because it's been, you know, that's the, that's the first thing I think when people are like, oh, thank you for the podcast. I'm like, thank you for listening to it so I could keep making it because, yes. because it's helping my daughter in ways you don't even understand. You, you, mm. you know, and it's it's uh, it's hard to quantify sometimes when you you try to break it down into a sentence really quick and say it to somebody. But you're helping yeah. me, you're helping me way more than I'm helping you, and I don't know how to say that because it seems ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, and and it, it seems like something you just say, but it's a hundred percent true. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And and I'll tell you what too about about tending to to blood sugars with a kind of a pre a predisposed idea of what you're going to do. That's brilliant, you know, because I'm in a different situation than you are. You're you're an adult. You're by yourself, right? You're not looking to other people to help you. When my daughter wants to eat the refrigerator, I can look and go, okay, I know this blood sugar is not falling anymore. Now this is just a reaction to that. Sometimes I can talk her into just not doing it. But other times I can just bolus. Like, you know, I'm at the point now where you're 50 diagonal down and I still see what's going on. I know the timing of it's right. I start bolusing. You, you know, I'm like, I, I'm like, I can stop this roller coaster if I've got the nerve to put the insulin in at the right time. But when you're yep. by yourself, I can't imagine making that decision. Like, right. I, you know what I mean? I can't imagine being in a situation where I'm, I'm 45. I know I've eaten enough food to save myself and I need this much insulin right now. But what if this is the one time this year that food didn't do it? Because it happens, right? Right. You know, and, and so I got to wait because I'm by myself. 
and then you wait just long enough that the that the carbs are now ahead of the insulin and you can't catch up no matter what you do Mm -hmm. Um, and then there you go you're up and down up and down i have that luxury being a caregiver that you don't have and so by saying i'm just going to eat this in this situation and you know try to get past that my body telling me i need more when i know i don't that's brilliant and not something i ever would have thought of so Mm, thank you good for you look at you Uh, so all right let's let's stop beating around the bush how do we get the book what do we do Awesome. Well, there's a couple ways. I mean, the the easiest way is just to go to diatribe.org slash brightspots. And on that website, you can get you can download the book as a PDF. um, And you can get it for free. So just punch in, you know, you'll you click download a PDF, hit zero in the name your own price, and you'll get the book. Uh, You can donate to diatribe if you want on there, whatever amount you want. And all that's is tax deductible or a 501c3 and get the PDF. You can buy it uh, paperback on Amazon. Just search Bright Spots and Landmines. And you can get a Kindle version as well. So, uh, Diet, also on Amazon. Diatribe.org. And there's a forward slash there, right? And then Bright Spots? Yep. Hold on yep, a second. Exactly. You, know what, you know what people love on podcasts when you type? Very exciting, <laughs> it's very exciting for everyone listening. Look at it. There it is. Adam, you were 100% right about this. Um, and so... <laughs> It's like you've said this before almost. Um, and I'm going to put links in the show notes and on the webpage for this episode where people can do it to it. You know what? I was going to say, um, let's give one away, but you're giving them away. So it's not really that I, mean, I guess you're not giving the paper ones. Are, are you, though? Like if I click – all right, hold on a second. If I click get it in paperback, I go to Amazon. There is a price at Amazon, $6.29. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and to be clear, the Amazon price is at cost. So we don't make anything off of sales. And that, that was something I was very adamant about is like, this should be as cheap as possible. So one of one of the funny things, little sidebar that I agonized over was um, color printing inside is extremely expensive. And so it, it more than doubled the price of the book. So the... Um, I had to search for a, a second printer that would print it in color for cheaper, but... The one that's on Amazon at six bucks is the interior is is actually black and white, so it's not in color. But the upside is that it's six dollars. <laughs> um, if if you want the full color version, you can get it on Amazon. But in the in the vagaries of how tech giants work, it's extremely buried. So you actually have to search Bright Spots and Landmines full color edition, or you can double click the paperback options and get to the full color edition, which is sixteen ninety nine. But um, that's that's a hilarious sidebar that I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours agonizing over. <laughs> well, let me let me say this first of all: your reviews from regular readers are fantastic. Um, Thank you. And the, yeah, please don't. I'm just looking at them. This is this is fantastic. People also have bought this. People have bought your book. Have also bought a lot of other diabetes books that I see. I don't see mine in here, but that's fine. It's not mine's not a diabetes book. It's a parenting book. But I am <laughs> as I'm clicking further and further deeper into customers also bought. My my self worth is just crashing through the floor, Adam. It's terrible. You should see it. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, this is it's spectacular, and 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 I just I can't say enough that just knowing you, honestly, if I didn't know you, I I'd, I'd get behind you because Kelly likes you. I would. I'm telling you right now, that's a <laughs> to me that's a winning endorsement right there. Um, it, it seriously it's seriously. Okay. Listen, let's go over it again. The woman was typing one thing and saying something else out loud at the same time. 
let's just <laughs> she should be president by the way and because we've lowered the bar yeah. pretty low on that now so I, just anybody can do it uh but but let, let, let's let her do it she's brilliant um no seriously i did i'm i just really grateful that you came on to talk about this because we had you know we had a thoughtful conversation it's what i expected when i knew you were coming on but at the same time it's it's uplifting to hear somebody speak about it so clearly um and, and and it's just the way that I hope people heard what you were saying because I, I, I was really taken by it. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really, really appreciate it. Always been a fan of your work. Well, that makes sense. I'm fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to push stop now and say goodbye properly. Thank you so much to Omnipod and Dexcom for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. Please go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, find out more, get some demos of the Omnipod, or check out how to get started with the Dexcom, or hey, do both, why not? Tell them the Juicebox podcast sent you. Also, listen, maybe you want to get Adam's book. You go right on Amazon.com and get it there, that's for sure. You can also go to brightspotsandlandmines.org. Listen, it's a good deal. You can download the PDF for freeze. Maybe you want to win one of five signed copies. One of five signed copies of Adam's book. Let's be clear, because this is a podcast, this doesn't go on forever. So if you're listening to this, and it is after June, let's say if you're listening to this after June 29th, 2017, this contest is over. But if it's before June 29th, 2017, and you want to get your name in to try to win one of five free signed copies of Adam's book, all you need to do is go to iTunes and leave a review of the podcast. That's it. Leave a review of the podcast and then send me an email. In the email, just include the username you used on iTunes so I can verify that you left the review. You know, make it a real review from your heart, not just this podcast is great. Don't do that. Tell me something about it that you really like. And uh, that's it. Send the email to ardensdayatme.com or go to ardensday.com or juiceboxpodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, hit contact. You can generate an email from there. But just go to iTunes, leave a review. Send me an email. Let me know the username you used on iTunes. Then we'll pick five winners, and Adam will send you out a beautiful signed copy of Bright Spots and Landmines, the diabetes guide I wish someone had handed me. Okay, guys, next week on the podcast, a very huge country music performer hmm, who has type 1 diabetes, and he's going to come on the podcast and talk all about it.